This is Top Floor Episode 7. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash 7. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now, your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we are riding up to the top floor with Chris Daly, president of Daly Gray Public Relations. Chris spent his childhood hanging with his 1,000 siblings on the mean streets of Chicago, Memphis, and Atlantic City. After securing an English degree, Chris joined the family business in 1996. He has since taken over the company and become one of the leading experts on hotel crisis communication. Having spent many years working in and for hotels, I can certainly attest to the fact that there are enough crises in our business to keep Chris busy until he's about 300 years old. So I'm excited he's here to give us some tips for how to communicate your way out of a disaster. Chris, I'm glad you're here. But before we start, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. Today's question was submitted by Erica D. Erica asks, my boss keeps asking me to send out press releases that are not news. How can I explain to her the difference between marketing and public relations? What do you think, Chris? Any tips for Erica? Well, first and foremost, wanted to say hello and thank you for having me. Longtime fan, very appreciative of you having me aboard today. I think probably the quotes unquote easiest solution for Erica would be to explain that those type of efforts actually hinder the end goal. If you begin to, I'll use the word pester the media with meaningless, you know, factoids or or just things that aren't newsworthy, you're going to jeopardize that relationship. So when you do actually have something meaningful to share and you do want some coverage that you might well deserve, you're going to have damaged that relationship. So that would probably be how I would approach it if it was somebody I was talking to. What do you think about people sending out press releases just for sort of the search engine optimization value? Do you think that's successful? The Again, if the end goal is to have someone to post it, simply sending it out doesn't necessarily accomplish that goal. I would instead encourage a property, if they had something meaningful to say, that type of thing might be better served, to your point, in a marketing campaign. Maybe that's something you post on your website, throw out over your socials. It kind of depends on what exactly it is they're trying to push. But yes, I think there are better venues than, again, putting out press releases. To use what's probably a poor analogy, you don't take a bat to a football Okay. <laughs> there are different tools for different goals. And if you're using the wrong tool, at best, you look like you don't know what you're doing. At worst, you look annoying. Got it. There you have it, Erica. Some great advice. I suggest you just play this episode back for your boss and then you won't have to have the argument. So Chris, I know you joined the family business soon after college. 
before that, what kinds of jobs did you have and what did you like and not like in your jobs? Probably my two favorite jobs actually were in high school and college. These were not careers. These were jobs. I worked at a video rental in high school, double features. And the boss didn't make us wear shoes. I had spent a whole <laughs> year I didn't wear shoes other than school. Did anyway. you want to not wear shoes? It was, hey, it was the 90s, man. What do you want from me? <laughs> it was like uh, a cultural me, movement in your video he, store. He was the first guy I knew with a ponytail. And goodness, I haven't thought about this in a long time. His parents had bought him the franchise so that he would have something to do as he was finishing his master's, I think. And he was just about as laid back as it gets and watching movies and, you know, doing it by the seat of your pants. It was fun. It was fun. And then the second, and this, I don't know if I'll ever match this job. I completely and entirely lucked into a job as a bar back at Buddy Guys Legends throughout college. and. I got to see some amazing music, incredible performers, and it was just a blast. Just a blast. And I guess if I think about it, in a sense, they allowed me to interact with people in a way that's not dissimilar from what a lot of what I do in public relations. Did you have any favorite acts that you saw? Um, well, I mean, Buddy Guy, who is, you know, Clapton said he's the greatest living guitarist. He's still one of the greatest living bluesmen alive. He was just phenomenal. Then I saw acts that I was unfamiliar with that you may or may not have heard of that just put on phenomenal shows. Jimmy Thackeray and the Drivers did a 20-minute version of Red House. To this day, gives me chills. Um, got to see Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones back when they were still in their earlier iterations and, and stuff like that. It was just a blast. If you could do any job in hospitality other than the job you have, what would it be? Huh. Good question. So my father has been in the hospitality industry since I was, I don't know, five or six thereabouts. So I consider us, you know, hospitality brats, if you will. That being said, I've never had a job at a hotel. I've done restaurants. I've done other hospitality things. I think it would be kind of interesting to do stuff at the property level. I mean, I've talked about it for so long and uh, with so many people, I feel like I, I know things that a lot of random folks wouldn't, but I'm sure that there's still a whole lot more to learn. And again, it goes back to that human interaction, which is one of the things I enjoy most about my job. Well, I know human interaction is a huge component of crisis communications, which is what we're going to talk about today. Can you think of the first or one of the first big situations that you had to handle at Daily Gray? I have handled so many over the years. It's hard to go back to one. At a certain point, we believe that Daily Gray was responsible for about a quarter of the hotels in the United States. Oh, and that was when we were working at the corporate level. So we had management companies that had these 300 and this brand had these many thousands. So the first ones were... I hate to characterize it as lesser, but was likely a smaller event like a fire or sprinklers going off or something like that. I guess that I, I kind of got my toes wet, if you will, before some of the more 
outlandish to horrific, depending on the day, uh, started coming through. And do you think that you have been able to become an expert in crisis communication because you've done so many or because of the types that you've handled? Well, I used to say for actually for years, I said, there's no crisis that I haven't handled. And then unfortunately, reality kept proving me wrong. (laughs) That's a pretty big uh, way to test karma there, my friends. Once you get a call from a local TV reporter about aliens at your hotel, you think you've hit the high water. (laughs) But again, unfortunately, people continue to surprise me and I continue to get calls that, again, just surprise me. They did what now? What happened here? Tell us about the alien situation. So we received a call from a local television station uh memory serves they were out of texas and pick up the phone the reporter asked so we have a report here from a local uh priest who wants to come in and exercise one of your hotel rooms because he has a parishioner who claims that last night while at your hotel a ufo came telekinetically held him and his <laughs> wife down to their bed. Oh, no, 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 I'm not done. While space fleas molested his unborn child. <laughs> Suffice to say, we were not able to prove this. Um, <laughs> and within reason, we actually, we got a um, pest control out there, you know, maybe a bed bug, we didn't know. Nothing. But to go back to the incident itself, so the reporter calls, asked the question, And it was actually one of the easier ones I've handled in as much as I said, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? And I heard the reporter reading over the question herself and she said, you know what? Never mind. Hung up. Never heard from her again. (laughs) But we fielded the call. Well, there you go. Crisis averted. That is utterly ridiculous. So... I guess this is a good lead into the next question. What's the difference between a true crisis and sort of just a bad day at work or to your point, the typical crazy that happens in hotels? So we can look at it from one of two ways and they both kind of end up in the same place. If the media either shows up or calls, you may have an issue on your hands. It depends on what they're calling about. And hand in hand with that, if this is something that's going to materially impact your business or the company's reputation, et cetera, et cetera, that's typically when we go from a pain or a nuisance to a legitimate crisis. Do you think it's better for people who work on property and hotels to err on the side of caution? In other words, to take every sort of thing that crosses their path more seriously? Or do you think discretion is the better part of valor in that case? I think first and foremost, you should have a plan in place. And your plan should include instructions on what is it that you should be worried about. Somebody drunk in the lobby, assuming that they don't do anything, not an issue. Fire sprinklers go off and the fire department shows up, news crews show up, that's an issue. So the starting point, as with most things in life, you should be prepared ahead of time. If you have a plan, you should have good guidelines, again, on what should be concerning and what shouldn't. That should allow you to have a better idea of what you should do in the immediate. And I think common sense can play a certain role. But if it's something 
that's going to impact you or your business, it's a problem. If not, you should probably, you should hopefully be able to come up with another solution. Do crisis communications for hotels most typically arise out of physical plant stuff like a fire that you mentioned, or is it just all the way across the board? It is all the way across the board. It could be fires. It could be anything as mundane as sprinklers going off to I've had, unfortunately, just horrifically grisly murders, suicides. I mean, at the end of the day, a hotel is a place of public business. People will come there. People will do things there. And certain people realize that it gives them something of a stage or a venue to do whatever sad or horrific things that they're going to do. That's the issue. Can you think of a non-grizzly crisis that you've handled you can share? Fires that are non-life-threatening are fairly common or just a sprinkler system going off. However, when your sprinkler system goes off, that typically alerts the fire department. The fire department then shows up. It's three in the morning. You've got a parking lot full of people outside. News crews typically watch police scanners, that type of thing. So now you've got a parking lot full of people. Nobody's hurt. I mean, they're obviously going to be a little bit upset that they had to get up in the middle of the night to go outside. But that unfortunately, is is more common than you'd think. Have you ever seen a situation go sideways? What I mean by this is something that was a relatively minor situation that got turned into a huge problem because it wasn't handled well. The one that comes most immediately to mind is actually, in my opinion, outside of the industry. The pizza company a few years back we don't need to name names. We're not a client. Maybe one day. Who knows? <laughs> Friday afternoon, some of the workers did something to the pizza, spit on it or something. And then it showed in the video or the TikTok or whatever it was that they delivered it. The company, for whatever reason, didn't really make any response until Monday or Tuesday of the following week, at which point I think their stock had already started to plummet. It was a big, big deal. And while there was going to be blowback one way or the other, seeming like they just didn't care, I think certainly blew it up much, much bigger than it had to be. What would you have done differently? Well, again, in that instance, responded more quickly. Um, when possible, if you can engage with the people who have the direct complaint, particularly if you can do that offline, I find that's best. The basis of my crisis philosophy is basically people want you to acknowledge that something has occurred and they want to know what it is you're doing to fix it. If you can address those two things, by and large, all things being equal, you should be able to weather your crisis. I've observed a number of crises, particularly on social media, where the first part of that was left out. So they didn't acknowledge it. They didn't say sorry. They just tried to throw solutions to a problem that they weren't acknowledging even happened. And it seems to make it worse and worse. I, that's you know probably something that's evolved over your career, the impact of social on bad situations like this. What do you think... Does social media help or hurt or do both in terms of a crisis? I would say it does both. It hurts in the sense that 
social media gives everybody a microphone, which on the one hand, you know, in certain senses can be good, but you find a lot of people who have axes to grind, could be trolls, could be, you know, any number of things to people who might be well-meaning, but just are incorrect. They may have facts wrong, things like that. So from that perspective, you now, instead of having to deal with one or two media outlets or even a handful of media outlets to, you know, potentially millions of people. That being said, if you want to take a more optimistic uh, view of it, this also gives you an additional microphone to project your message. So instead of simply getting in touch with the media and hoping they run something on the six o'clock news, you do have a way to more directly interact with your audiences. So depending on which side of the fence you are and what fire you're trying to put out, that could be good or bad. Something I've also observed is that if an accusation is unfounded or unfair, a lot of times a business's fans on social media will jump to their defense before the business even has to, which I think is a bonus that you've got sort of this legion or this community of people who are in your corner that can advocate for you without you having to say it yourself. That sometimes works, sometimes doesn't happen. <laughs> See, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm actually in the midst of a crisis now, um, crisis now. And one of the first things the client mentioned to me is, look, we understand that there are all these loud, angry voices uh, on social media accusing of this, that, and the other thing. But I have a deeper pile of emails saying literally the exact opposite. What a great job you've done. What this, that, and the other. So you're absolutely right. And that gets into really the third-party validation, which it's always going to be better for you as a company, for someone else to say how good you are. It's all good and well that you think you're great, and certainly you should. But if you can get someone else to to verify that, that's the game right there. I think there's a, a good lesson there in terms of not... Maybe your pizza company example was about waiting too long to respond. But I do think there's maybe some value in giving it a minute, giving it a beat to see if anybody else is going to jump to your defense first. What do you think about that? Timing is a tricky game. And one of the sayings in our office is, we promise not to practice law if the lawyers promise not to practice PR. (laughs) And we always lose. (laughs) I agree with you entirely that you do not want to immediately jump in the fray. You do not want to go in half cocked as a exceptionally wise client of mine just pointed out the other day, some battles you're not going to win, some battles you simply must endure. So taking the time to be thoughtful and thorough and make sure your message is correct and accurate, I agree with you entirely. Giving a few minutes breathing time to both compose your thoughts and allow others to come to your defense, also agree with you entirely. That being said, there is a point in time where you are going to look like you're either asleep at the wheel or you don't care. And your lack of a response can be as damning almost as the wrong response. Absolutely true. I know the listeners cannot hear my vigorous nodding, but I am nodding vigorously in agreement. Are there any other kinds of reactions or responses that might seem intuitive but actually work against a business when confronted with a crisis? 
This is something that I personally have to deal with as well. You might think that, well, we'll just air all the laundry. We'll get this all out there. And then once everybody sees everything, well, then they'll know that we're in the right. That often is going to backfire and blow up in your face. You have to worry about everything from victim shaming, if that's the situation, to simply looking like you're not taking responsibility for your actions. And then let me be very clear. I'm not saying any of these things are necessarily fair. I'm simply saying that this is the reality. Understood. Part of what I do when I'm offering crisis counsel is to say, look, I need to explain to you if we go down this path, this is what we should expect. I'm not necessarily trying to steer you away from it, but if we do this, I can tell you based on 20 plus years of experience, this is what's going to happen. Every time you put out a statement, you give the media something else to report on. You're effectively waving the flag saying, nothing's happening over here. (laughs) Nothing's happening over here. That's a really good point. So you need to really be thoughtful. And again, unfortunately, sometimes saying less can be better when you would think the opposite. Again, sometimes you got to endure. It's interesting. So we like for each episode of Top Floor to include a few things for listeners to try in their businesses. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions to get some specific tips for people to put in place in times of crisis. What is the first thing a hotelier or restaurant owner should do when a volatile situation arises? So again, I'd like to take it a step back even further. Ideally, you've got a plan in place. And the plan, in part at least, should be here's a step-by-step guide of what you do when a crisis has been determined. And the first step is going to be determine, do we have a crisis on our hands? And there should be a list, again, that we already went over of these are the things that are worthy of being called a crisis. There should probably be a phone tree in there. Who do I call? What is the chain of command? Who makes decisions? Those type of things. If there is a third-party agency involved, when do we call them? So there should be a chain of command. There should be probably some documents in there that just make your life easier. For example, a media log page, which can just be a very basic Excel spreadsheet printout. But somebody should be keeping a log of, here's every media that called or showed up or left a card. Here's their contact information. Here's the type of questions they asked. That's a really good idea. I like that. And, And these are just all things. You don't want to be figuring this out in the middle of the crisis. That's why I keep harping on the be planned beforehand. Because if you've got to figure this out with the media in your lobby, it's too late. That leads me to my next question, which is, I'm an employee at a hotel and media is in my lobby. I don't know why they're there, but I'm getting badgered with questions. What do I do? The first and foremost thing is you have to remain under control. The second you lose it and you start screaming and throw your hand over the camera, you have given them everything they wanted. You have given them something that they can run on the evening news or, or what have you, and you've done their job for them. You must be calm. You must be cool. You must be collected. The first couple of times you explain, I don't have the answers that you want. If you can leave me your contact information, I will be happy to pass this along. 
the appropriate person to respond will get back to you as quickly as they can. That sometime is not good enough, and they will continue to harass. After a reasonable amount of time, what I recommend is that you explain to the person, look, this is a place of business, and I'm afraid that your presence here and your insistence on badgering me is impacting our ability to do business. I'm afraid if you do not leave, I'm going to have to call the police. The bottom line is you reserve that right. It is your hotel. You need to do this in a calm, cool, and collected manner. And at that point, these reporters know the game. They know that that you are in the right and that you have the legal ability to ask them to leave property. And if they don't, that you can press charges. So I've seldom found a reporter that will cross that line because, you know, he doesn't want to get arrested any more than you do. So is it a worse move to lose your cool while you're saying no comment, get out of my lobby? Or is it a worse move to give a statement that you may not be authorized to give? Ooh, which is worse? <laughs> They're both bad moves, I know. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Something happened at a hotel and the media got there before we got called. And the media was talking to housekeepers as they were walking through the parking lot on the way to their morning shift. Oh, gross. And they said, again, I won't go into the details, but they asked them what they thought about the situation. And two of them said something to the effect of, it's the third time this has happened this year. Oh, my goodness. So if you say those kind of things, even if you're somehow well-intentioned in your actions, that's going to be a problem for the business. Well, and it seems like, the to your point, your example, you don't always know if the statement you're making will hurt the business. So better to stay mum. And in a lot of cases, you may not know. And it's not because you've been lied to or because somebody's keeping information from you. It's that there's so much stuff happening with so many people involved that you just don't know. You don't know that the regional has already done whatever or that the C-suite has already done whatever. So the information you're giving may well have been true an hour ago, but it no longer is. And then it complicates the situation. And this is, to this day, this one bugs me more than a lot. Reporter called, had a question. I said, look, I'm 90% sure this is the answer, but you know what? I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to go find out. Called him back an hour later, and I said, you know what? Turns out I was not right. Instead of it being 45 degrees, it was 50, whatever the question was. And the reporter wrote, Daly called me back an hour later, completely flip-flopped his answer. He's clearly lying, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, now hold on a minute. Oh, wow. Not only did I not lie to you, I took the extra step to confirm the truth. So... There are less scrupulous media out there who look for the more sensational angle, and you got to worry about that. Well, and, you know, to at least put it in the very best possible light, it's impossible to control how someone else perceives what you say. So maybe better to not say anything at all. Good point. Very good point. At what point should a hospitality business call in a professional? I think a lot of that answer depends on what you have internally. If you have a robust communications department internally, that may or may not be necessary. That being said, we were working for a, a brand, a major brand. And one of the brand communication PR people called me. She said, the police have me on the other line 
They want to know whether or not to shoot to kill. What? She freaked out. She's like, this is so beyond my pay grade. Turns out the person wasn't in the room. It was a shadow. But I mean, they were hunting down a murderer. Oh, my word. At that point, I would call anybody. (laughs) I would call my mother. I would call a neighbor. I would call a friend on who wants to be a millionaire. Yes. But to be a little bit more serious, at the end of the day, this is about reputation management. If you do not have the capabilities in-house to handle that, and it looks like this is going to be an issue, you should bring in somebody. Whatever money you're going to spend is going to pale in comparison to the money you potentially could lose. That's why you call crisis people. Understood. In this current climate, what do you think are some of the stickiest or highest potential crises that hotels could face? What I mean by that is, is there something that is particularly hot right now or particularly on deck for the media that hotels should look out for? I still continue to be deluged with COVID-related issues. And I think one of the stickier is staff having to deal with people who don't want to mask, who don't want to do whatever, and who get violent, which speaks to the larger issue of the ongoing labor shortage. And on the one hand, I hear from any number of owners and operators, I can't hire people no matter what. I think the real truism there is you can't hire people for what you're offering. <laughs> um, and then I've got a my youngest brother is a um, manager at a hotel. And it took him over a year to find a job. And he was willing to move across the country. Taking a step outside of public relations specifically, because I know you're a hotel expert over and above public relations. What's a prediction that you've got for the future of the industry? I like to ask people to bring out a crystal ball and then we'll play it back to you in 10 years and see how if you were right. I learned a while ago that the best way for me to sound smart is to just listen to other people. So, <laughs> And it also allows me the opportunity to say, well, you know, I was just repeating somebody else, right? <laughs> crystal ball fairly to somewhat concerned about the rest of the year. Obviously, the leisure that everyone benefited from is gone or disappearing. And by and large, the folks I'm talking to and listening to are not seeing the return of group and conference that they were hopeful for. Eventually, we're going to get through this pandemic. I mean, we have to. The alternative is there will be no more podcasts or anything else. (laughs) I won't be able to play it back. (laughs) What is next for you and what's next for Daily Gray? Uh, Let's see. Immediately, my wife's birthday is tomorrow. We're going on vacation next week. Yay! Where are you going? We are going outside of Chesapeake Bay in Virginia. We got a... Um, (laughs) And we're on a little lake with our own little putt-putt golf course. And it sounds like a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. What's next for Daily Gray? As with everyone else, last year wasn't great. I am very happy to report. And I'm happy to report it because I think it was far more than just me. Spring and summer were pretty good. We were able to pick up some meaningful business, make some new friends, and I'm hopeful to carry that moving forward. Like I said, we'll 
we'll see if we've got any hiccups or stumbles over the next quarter or two as an industry, but I'm confident that we shall prevail. Excellent. I think you're right. Okay, folks, before we tell Chris goodbye, we're going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Chris, what is a story you would only tell on the loading dock? So I don't know this is something I necessarily keep secret, but it is certainly something I don't necessarily promote. For a PR guy, I am notoriously bad at self-promotion. I have been a music critic for about 12 years now. I've written for a number of music blogs, the high water mark. I did a piece for um, Red Bull Music Academy, la di da. Wow. I, it started, there was an open call on some website and I've made virtually no money on it whatsoever. It's entirely labor of love, but I get free music, albums, CDs, MP3s, what have you, uh, and concert tickets, which for my money was more than enough. I think my record was something like 12 different concerts in 15 nights. Good grief. Yeah, that was that was a lot. That one was a stretch. Have you ever walked out of a concert because you hated it? Uh, it was Lollapalooza 2 or 3. It was the one with Beastie Boys, George Clinton, and a variety of others. One of the big headliners was, um, oh God, Siamese Dream. Um, Smashing Pumpkins? Thank you. One of the headliners was Smashing Pumpkins. They are from Chicago. I am from Chicago. The show took place in Chicago. In the opening, they started talking all this trash about Harry Carey, the beloved Cubs broadcaster. I mean, a saint in that city. And I wasn't particularly a Pumpkins fan at the time, but I got up and I left. Well, I think you uh, made, you voted with your feet on that concert (laughs) for sure. I don't know that I've ever walked out of a show. I've definitely left some shows early. I did sleep through a government mule show that's impressive simply from a volume perspective. Yeah, I, I don't know how I managed it, but I was maybe one of four women in the audience. And so it, perhaps it was just like the testosterone in the air took me out. So one of the things I've had to review recently, I got a, um, a streamer for an upcoming movie. It's about uh, Joe Cocker's Mad Dogs and Englishmen. And I watched it with my parents who happened to have attended the concert in 1970. Oh, cool. Well, I did it to spend time with him. It was nice. The entire time, all they could talk about was at the beginning of the show, um, an apparently deaf dog comes out and sits in front of the speaker and sleeps through the entire two and a half hour show. And that was all they could talk about. So you're you're in good company, I guess. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, it's another deaf dog asleep. What was your first concert? Uh, so that question was posed to me recently in a few different ways. Um, the first concert that I considered, or that my the first big deal concert was probably uh, uh, Kenny Loggins. Uh, Dad used to be uh, EVP of communications for Harrah's and Holiday uh, Corp. And Holiday Corp had all these seats at Mud Island, which had an outdoor amphitheater. So Kenny was the first. Then someone asked me, what was the first concert I went to by myself? 
And that, if memory serves, would have been college, George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars in a small club before they made their final resurgence. So I don't even think there was 50 of us in there. That was a pretty good show. That's really cool. So my first concert was the Beach Boys in 1984 on the National Mall. Very nice. Yes, I was nine and I was not a fan. Chris Daly, thank you so much for being here. I hope our listeners are taking notes. I hope they are making their crisis communication plan as instructed. And I really appreciate you riding with us to the top floor. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thank you for joining us today. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash seven. Top Floor is a production of Long Live Lodging. Our elevated elevator music was composed and performed by John Albano, designed by Neha Patel and Jason Lum. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 